In a world full of boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone. Is this thing on? Use his video marketing knowledge. It's the red button, right? And use his friends. Please be on the show. To change that. You are listening to The Garlic Marketing Show with Ian. What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic. Welcome back, storytellers, to The Garlic Marketing Show. Ian Garlic here. And today's guest is a great friend of mine. I wanted to have him on because I want to catch up with him and see what he's doing because he's a marketing genius and a lot of fun and a great all-around person. And today we're going to talk about standing out as a brand. Also, I want to talk about starting a business in recession because he did that. Um, acquisitions, we were talking a little bit beforehand. Uh, all this kind of cool stuff with the podcast genius behind Bacon Wrapped Business, Brad Costanzo. Brad, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, hey, thanks for having me, buddy. It's good to reconnect. Yeah, and um, before we get further with Brad, don't forget this is brought to you by storycruise.com, the ultimate resource for finding videographers and editors that know marketing so your business videos don't suck. Just go to storycruise.com to learn more. So Mr. Brad Costanzo, so tell me a little bit real quick, about how you started your business in the recession, because the last recession, not this one. Oh, that's back in like 07, 08, right? Yeah, yeah, because you did that. I love it. You got to check out his about story because it's great. It's like, it, it's really well written. And I'm oh, like, I, I, I hate writing about sections. It's the, but it's just so important. It's so it's, important. It's the one, it's, used, yeah, exactly. The second most important part of your page uh, next to your the website. Page, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah. And uh, that that's... You know, we do a lot of about videos, but it's a great one. He doesn't have a video on it, but I'm not going to talk about that. But so you started in 2007, 2008. Tell me about yeah, what so that was like. Yeah, so prior to that, prior to that, I was in financial services and I was a financial advisor for several years uh, from 99 till maybe 2004. And then for the next three or four years, I was uh, working at Prudential Investments, working with financial advisors and helping them uh, with their practice. So I wasn't working with retail clients anymore, but I had a very professional business. And, um, and then in 2007, 2008, you know, that's when uh, I, I actually got laid off because things were getting really crazy in the, especially in the financial services markets. And it just so happened that I had read the same month I got laid off. A friend of mine recommended the four hour work week to me and it really opened my eyes. Like, uh, like a lot of people have been inspired by that book. I wasn't inspired by the idea of getting to work four hours a week or, you know, getting rich or even traveling the world. It was just for me, I was like, this opened my eyes. I didn't even know. I didn't even think about selling, let's say information or products on the internet and using this new, uh, global workforce that we have access to, to, um, to outsource, you know, work, et cetera. And I just love the idea that, look, if you have one little idea because of the global workforce or the, I mean, the global market that we all have access to, uh, you can make a living. And uh, I was faced with two decisions. I was faced with, okay, I'm going to um, 
put my resume together, which I hated doing and schlepping around and hoping that somebody in the financial services market would give me a job of which I didn't really want. I was burned out and I was like, I don't know what I want to do here. I don't want to work with clients again. And uh, I don't know what I would do. And I was just looking at that. It, I was, it was like, I was looking into the abyss going, uh, I need to reinvent myself. And then I read four hour work week and I got a little bit of a severance and I was like, all right, well, this will set me up for just a few months to just kind of figure this out. So I partnered up with a guy named TV who uh, still a good friend of mine, but he, he and I became business partners and we, we actually started, uh, I started two businesses simultaneously with two, with two different partners. So with uh, TV, one of the things that I started, and this was on a lark just to see, like, we didn't feel like we were experts in anything internet marketing uh, wise. And a lot of people will, they'll start to learn about internet marketing and then they'll go teach internet marketing. And it's this gigantic loop of the blind leading the blind, right? I didn't want to do that because I didn't, I wanted to have some degree of authenticity. I didn't feel like I knew anything about anything, but I knew about two dozen little bar tricks like little magic tricks at a bar. Like I could make, take a pack of matches and make them, I don't know, you know, look like they were burned and then back. Like, or I could make a napkin disappear. Stupid bar tricks. that would oftentimes win me drinking bets. And occasionally if I was talking to a girl when I was single and I did this for her, she would be like, ah, that's really cool. And it would break the ice and it'd be fun. At the same time, I read the book by Neil Strauss called The Game, Penetrating the Secret Society of Pickup Artists. And although I was never considered myself a pickup artist. It was a great New York Times bestselling book. And in the book, he had mentioned doing magic tricks to break the ice and create attraction with women. But he never, ever mentioned which magic tricks he did. And I was reading it just like laughing, going, oh my God, I, I've done that. That's cool. Which tricks did you do? And I was looking all around and he never explained which tricks he did or how he did them. So I got on Google and I Googled pickup artist magic tricks because I was like, man, I want to learn those. I, once more, I was dating a girl that I'm now married to. So um, I wasn't trying. I was just curious. Nothing existed. Like you could, you could learn magic tricks uh, on magic trick websites, but it's for magicians. And, you know, you're bringing out cards or sponge bunnies and all this other crap. And I was like, well, I, like, I wouldn't buy that. I want something like spontaneous, quick, easy, like no setup and just easy to do to where I don't look like I'm a magician uh, at a bar. And I couldn't find it. So I was like, I remember what Neil said and he was like, well, just validate it. Like put together something that, you know, like, you, like you're about to sell it, throw some traffic at it and see if people are interested. So like, all right, well, my partner and I is like, let's, let's just figure, let's just use this to create our first opt-in page and our first whatever. And I'd never written sales copy, but I wrote a, like a one or two pages of a product that I would buy if it existed. And it was like, yeah, you looking to you looking to uh, break the ice with women and, you know, have easier ways to talk to them. Like, here's what I've got. I'll put the magic in pickup and the pickup in magic. And it was just kind of fun to write, but I didn't know what I was doing, but uh, I validated it and it validated positively, which means that I threw a bunch of uh, Google AdWords traffic, which I didn't know what I was doing. Spent like 600 bucks, but I had like, I don't know, three or 400 names of people who had opted in and said, yes, I want to buy that. And the, it, that just said, um, come back soon. You know, we're, we're, we're almost done creating it. But so that was like, all right, crap. I best, I guess I better um, create this now, by the way, does this remind you of a conversation we had offline? About, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's, let's make sure like, let, let's create a, a catalyst for ourselves to create something. Cause now we know that somebody wants it.
Yeah. Right. And, and I, I think that's so important too, that people are like, they, they get so stuck in this idea that I have to have all my, everything done before I go sell something. And it's not bad to test out the market. It's not like you're selling it and saying, oh, now I'm going to make it. It's you're saying, hey, are you interested in this? And really give me my, your email address. And, it, and that's really important. Bingo. And then, so at the same time, um, at the same time, well, I'll, I'll back up to that in a second because it's a fun, funny story. But um, so the entire time I treated this not as a business, but as a marketing laboratory, I wanted to learn internet marketing and information marketing. And this gave me a vehicle to just kind of have fun with. I put a fake name on it and, uh, but I was on the videos, et cetera, and it was fun. And then I started to learn about affiliate marketing. I started to learn about SEO and paid media and all this other stuff. And uh, it was not a runaway best-selling success. Uh, it, it was like, I don't know, probably 11 months from the day I registered the domain to the day I pulled out my first dollar into my pocket, which was $1,500. Woohoo. But I just kept on putting it back in, but it was a slow burn and I was learning the whole way. And um, it was paying for itself, which is good. And then uh, I ran that for about five years and on the tail end, I wasn't doing much work. I literally was working four hours a week on that business, but I sold it to a couple of investors out of New Zealand and they bought it. They ran it into the ground, which I'm kind of happy with only because, you know, I didn't want my face out there anymore, but I got a nice six figure, um, a nice six figure sale of the business. And that was cool. Um, and then at the same time I had had a software business where uh, another buddy of mine and I figured out how to reverse engineer the, um, the uh, Garmin and TomTom GPS systems. And this is right before iPhones started to come really big, right? Like this is 2000, early 2008. And um, what we did is we, we found out how to put different voices and celebrity impersonations and characters and stuff like that, giving you turn-by-turn -turn directions. And we called it pig tones, which stood for politically incorrect GPS tones. So they would be <laughs> cussing at you or they'd be doing like Stewie from the Family Guy giving you directions and whatnot. Got a lot of cease and desist orders. <laughs> from but um then the iphone killed that business i mean i remember when i was like you know driving in my car and i was using my iphone for navigation and i had my garmin up there with you know that was making pretty decent money at the time and i was like all right this business is going to die because i'm not even using my own product so <laughs> ran that one into the ground but um, and in the process throughout that, I had started other products. I won't, you know, won't go into it. And I had some successes here and failures there. But uh, in all, I learned a lot. So I sold the business and I moved from Dallas to San Diego to start over with my wife. And uh, we're like, all right, what do I want to do? And I didn't want to just start another product uh, business. So I was like, well, let me talk to some people I know in the business and let me start consulting with them because I probably have a few tricks up my sleeve, uh, pun intended, that might work. So <laughs> I, I started work with my buddy, Drew Canoli, who now owns like a, a very big um, company called Organifi, which does uh, supplements. And, but I helped him grow his personal brand and his offers and all of that other stuff. And then I started working with other people uh, in the digital marketing space, everywhere from software to services, to information products and physical and e-com and uh, started an e-com business that ended up failing. But uh, that's part of the part of what we sign up for as entrepreneurs. But really in the past, um, I guess, seven and a half years, consulting has consulting executive coaching style stuff has been my primary focus. And I've been fortunate enough to work with some really, really amazing people from a billionaire named Jesse Itzler to um, uh, UFC 
uh, five-time UFC champion, Frank Shamrock and Mauro Ranallo, who's the top fight announcer in the world and some like really cool people helping them work on channeling, uh, you know, the attention they're getting into an actual business model and helping to either reinvent or reignite their personal brand. But then also working with companies who are, as I said, like e-commerce businesses that I just uh, acquired about a quarter of a, of a business called Vitamin Patch Club. And we're going to be trying to scale that up. And uh, right now, and then I'm just like shotgunning, like all the little crap that I'm involved in. And then right now, uh, Adil, who you know, uh, and I have partnered up and we are looking to acquire, um, we're, we're talking to some companies right now to acquire IT service, IT security businesses that you know serve the local markets. And um, the goal there is to do a, uh, uh, you know, and acquisitions and roll-ups in that space, um, which is an area I know a little bit about, but learning a lot about as we go through it. So um, yeah, really that's kind of been the background. And then throughout, throughout it all, I started the Bacon Wrap Business Podcast to just kind of talk to great people and share my insights and learn a lot along the way. Yeah. I mean, podcast to me is one of the coolest things I've done. And you know, and it's not because of the way people think they're going to get rich off the podcast. Like I'm going to sell advertising. I'm like, that's a unicorn. Uh, there are people that do that. Uh, but there's a lot of ways to enrich yourself. Uh, but before we get into that, um, you know, because you started at a, a recession, right. Mm-hmm. And you started with nothing, essentially no background knowledge. Let's fast forward to right now. And let's say there's another brand out there. Maybe they have a business that's in flux what would you tell them to be learning? What would you tell them to be doing right now um, to build a business and take advantage of everything that's happening? You know, that's obviously, uh, it's a challenging question to ask because people are in so many different situations. For instance, uh, for some people in the e-com space specifically, uh, the whole COVID issue has been a boon. It's been beneficial because more people are buying things online. So with them, I like ride that wave as long, you know, as hard and long as you can. Uh, for other people who've been highly disrupted, uh, one of my clients is a hospitality consultant and his business got completely obliterated. And he's in the, he is in the process now of um, trying to reinvent and figure it out. Right. And saying, okay, what, what was working really well is no longer even a viable thing at the moment and not even for the foreseeable future. So what I, so as I said, those are two, you know, those are two total extremes and then it mm-hmm. kind of depends. But I think what is really critical is to get really honest, understanding that the economy has changed and uh, it's not coming back anytime super soon, or at least the, you know, the old normal is not going to come raging back, um, you know, overnight. Mm. And it's to look at what are, you know, t- take a close look at what have been the, the big wins, what have been the big um, threats to your business, where, what are some opportunities that you thought about capitalizing on, but you really didn't, you know, want to upset the apple cart and uh, capitalize on, you know, in the past because sometimes it's too risky. Well, now is the time to take riskier moves because, um, everything is up in the air, right? So it's almost like, well, what's, what's the worst case scenario? Like my business isn't working now. So if I try this and it doesn't work, you know, uh, it, to me, it gives you permission to kind of try new things um, if you can. In, if you're in another situation where you need to just do whatever you can to hang on to like clients, like that's going to be critical right now is double, you know, if your service, if you're in the service business, 
uh, go deep on servicing those clients and, and doubling up your efforts because um, a lot of us know, and if we don't, we should, that uh, keeping a client is 10 times cheaper than getting a new one. New clients are the hardest, most expensive things to get, but a satisfied client, man, it's worth its weight in gold, especially because, you know, the word of mouth and referral. So um, hopefully that's enough like advice for like people on the range of the scale, but there's no, there's no easy answers. Um, especially like with my buddy and for, former client who's a hospitality consultant. I was like, man, I, I don't have an easy answer, but uh, I told him, try to learn some new skills, try to um, learn something that is in demand. It doesn't have to be perfect. And you you might suck at it if you're trying something new, but you know, step-by-step, step, I didn't know anything when I was starting this, um, you know, magic trick site. It was a, it was a laboratory and it's just a big test. And, but so, you know, let's say it is that you're, you're, you're starting, you're going online, you are want to sell information or mm -hmm. get more service clients. What specific skills do you see as important for the business owner to have and, you know, versus outsourcing? So the business owner needs to really have, uh, I mean, number one, especially if they're doing this is sales, sales and communication and um, ability to really listen to what the client or the customer wants is so critical. Uh, I mean, the number one job of a, of a CEO or a founder of a business, uh, you're not really a CEO, really. I mean, unless you've got, you know, a lot of, a lot of us use the term CEO. I don't even consider myself a CEO, uh, you know, until you've got, a, you know, a business that's doing, let's just say some real revenue, there's not a number, but let's just say it's several million dollars. You've got a team, you've got people on the, you know, you, you're an executive of some people. If you're by yourself or you've got a couple people, you know, you're a founder, you're a president, you're the, you're the owner. Um, you should be selling. You should always be focused on um, your offer, uh, how you sell it, positioning, how to stand out in a crowded market and how to um, be able to not only uh, survive your competition, but to outsmart them. Um, everything else doesn't really matter. Um, oh, and the last part is serve and then servicing those clients you've got. Like how can, you know what a five-star level service is? How can you give them 10-star level service? Like what would that look like? Even if it doesn't exist, how can you go above and beyond? Uh, and I'll give you an example. Um, and it, it's a, it was a little company called Apple that uh, went above and beyond for me and made me a, a complete fanboy after my, um, this was my second Apple purchase. I had an iMac and then uh, I decided, this is 2000 and I want to say 11, and I decided to switch over to a, um, a MacBook. And I was, I had just switched over from PC to MacBook and I was, I, I got the whole thing configured. It took me a full week and I was learning it and I was like all excited and I was at, I was at Starbucks with a coffee without the lid on and I spilled the coffee on top of the keyboard and it fried the computer. And I looked at it like I've had this for one week and I had Apple care and all that didn't matter because I don't, none of that covered dumbass insurance. Like there was no dumbass insurance. They're like, Oh yeah, we cover everything unless you get it wet. And I'm like, oh, I just no. Now, luckily um, most like almost all credit cards, people don't know this have a credit card insurance, like for products. And that does include dumbass insurance, which is the technical term. But, um, <laughs> and I remember I went to the Apple store and uh, oh, I, I called my credit card company. They were like, yeah, here, uh, first go to the Apple store, get an estimate, get it printed out, fill out these forms, 
and then, you know, submit them. You will end up taking care of it. It's just going to be a couple of hoops to jump through. I'm like, all right, went to the Apple store. They said, okay, we'll look at this. We'll call you tomorrow. They called me and they said, all right, come get your computer. And I did. And they said, here you go. It's all fixed. I was like, you fixed it. No, I, I just needed an estimate. Like I need to turn this into my insurance. And they go, well, first of all, uh, we replaced everything on the computer, every single thing in here, except the hard drive. The hard drive was fine. Remember, every, I just configured it all. The hard drive's fine, but the clamshell, the motherboard, all this stuff, we replaced it. It's as good as new. And I was like, no, I just needed an estimate for my insurance. They go, oh, we saw that you just bought it. So we just went ahead and took care of it for you. It's on us. And that was the Apple oh. store. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, I was gonna do the insurance that you wouldn't have had to. And from that moment on, I knew what 10 star service was like above and beyond. And uh, I'll never forget that. It's like, man, how can you wow them? And I haven't bought a PC nor will I ever since. So hopefully that's a good demonstration of like how to really wow people. And, you know, I used to work, uh, my first job out of college was at Disney World and uh, in Orlando. And I, uh, I really got trained on what, 10 star level services and creating magical moments and these things that just blow people away. So I think it may be st stuck in my subconscious. So I look for ways to do that with myself and I try to show my clients how to do the same thing. That's great. And that's, it, that's so important. You know, we, I was, Joey Coleman was, we had an interview with him on giants video and you know, he never loses a customer again. And it's, I, I come, keep coming back to the stat, a 5% increase in customer satisfaction leads to 25 to hundred percent increase in profits. I mean, huge. huge, right? Um, and so, you know, when people are balancing that, you know, we, we talked a little about personal brand, building your brand, really setting yourself out in a market, in a crowded market. And I think now is a huge time to do that. What are some of, um, and, you're, and you're actually developing some of this because you're helping people with that and, yeah. and those names. What are some of the, why do you need to be developing a personal brand right now? Who should be? And what's the key ways to be doing it? And yeah, I, you so, know, that's eight questions in one. So no, no, it's cool. And you know, it actually, uh, personal branding is only a part of what I'm about to share with you. It's really how to stand out in a crowded market. And that's, if you are a personal brand, this totally works. If you're not, and you're just a brand, a physical product brand or service, um, you can utilize every single one of these as well. Uh, some of them are a little bit, you, you, as I read through these, you'll, you'll understand this. Some of these are for a little easier to do if you are a personality in the marketing. But, um, you know, a lot of people probably do what you do. And uh, many people probably even do it better, have more experience. Maybe they have more testimonials and client satisfaction than you. Does that mean you shouldn't compete? No, it just means that you have to compete a little bit smarter, especially these days. And you sometimes want to try to find a way to compete with them, not on their turf and to kind of create uh, like the, the, the book blue ocean strategy had a great example of this of like, how do, how do I find uh, what my competition's not doing? And then uh, do that piece either add it or do it a lot better. And what this caused me to do in working with clients uh, who, you know, they come to me, they want growth and they want to, they want to grow their business. They want to make more money, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a lot of dials you can turn to make that happen. So the very first thing I started to do is assess where they were and what they were doing and to say, okay, well, how are you standing out right now? Because if you can really stand out, um, things get a lot easier and stand out in a positive way. There's a lot of negative ways to stand out. So there are, there are, some, very, um, there are some very typical ways to do this. Like these are very easy. You can be the cheapest 
or you can be the most expensive, right? Like Walmart, everyday low prices, you know, prices can't be beat. You can be the rarest or you can be the best, like demonstrably the best, like the best, whatever. Um, you can be the most specific, right? You can niche down that you are, um, you know, you are a consultant for, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I was going to make something up, but I can't make it up. I think people understand niching down to be in the absolute most specific to where there's, oh, by the way, teaching magic tricks to pick up artists. Like that was pretty damn specific, right? I niched mm -hmm. down, right? And um, that, that nobody else was doing that. Uh, granted, there wasn't as, as much traffic as I wanted because nobody else was doing it. Um, or, you know, like, like people have been, companies have been doing for over a hundred years, spend the most money on advertising awareness, right? You can just blanket TV, radio, internet, et cetera, Coca-Cola or, you know, Ford or whatever. You can just be everywhere spending money. Those are the typical ways to do it. But there's, uh, there's some other ways, uh, seven other ways that uh, if done correctly, can be very, very powerful. And the key to this is as I'm reading these um, off, like think where you're at. And I think of it as like an equalizer on a stereo. Like it's really hard to be the top on all areas. Some areas you may not, you know, you may be a 10, some areas you may be a one, et cetera. But the goal is to say, where can we increase these and what will be better? So the very first thing is social proof and endorsements, right? So social proof is great. It's, um, you know, do you have a large social media following? Do you have any authoritative endorsements? Do you have glowing testimonials? Maybe, you know, amazing case studies of uh, people who are highly admired, right? And, um, there's a lot of ways to get that, right? You can buy it. A lot of people buy fake Instagram and Facebook followers. You, you, know, you, can, you can build it. You, know, you can just end up building a big social media following from all the content and great stuff that you produce. And that's, you know, build it slash earn it. Uh, you can also borrow it. So if I go on, um, let's say I got Gary Vaynerchuk or Joe Rogan or somebody to interview me, right? on my mm -hmm. podcast, I'm in essence borrowing their credibility and their social proof and their implied endorsement, right? So there's ways to build the social proof. That's one. Um, the next one is to build like actual proof or what I call demonstrable proof and results. And this is different than social proof because, you know, if you can demonstrate and or document, you know, the effectiveness of your method versus anybody else, people will come to you. And it's, it's like one thing to build a better mousetrap or to say you did, but it's another thing to show all the mouses that it's trapped. And you know who did a great example of this in the infomercial world was, uh, I think it was Gorilla Glue. You ever, do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They had a, a guy had a hard hat and he put glue and he stuck himself on, a, on an I-beam and he hung, right, from the thing. Like it was holding on. That is demonstrable proof that it works. Okay. So if you don't have demonstrable proof, uh, can you get it? Can you showcase your results? Okay. That's number two. Number three is, you know, goodwill. Like how much goodwill are you building out there? And that could be in the form of content marketing, for instance. And it could be, um, you know, Frank Kern uh, talks about this a lot, which is like help people by actually helping them. You know, if your content gets consumed and applied and it gets them results in advance of ever doing business with you, uh, you're going to have, um, a very warm place in their heart because man, this guy's free content is great. Uh, I wonder what his um, paid content is like having a podcast is like that, right? Like uh, having a, having a blog, social media posts where you're sharing your best stuff. You're not just showing off, but you're helping people 
without asking anything in return. That's goodwill. And the more goodwill you put out there, the better your reputation is. And people are going to pay attention to you versus the other guy who's keeping all of his stuff behind a paywall. Okay. So um, if you have an e-commerce business, a great way of that is just, yeah, once more content marketing, just put out more content about how to help people get what they want. And obviously if they want a shortcut, they can buy your stuff. Um, number four is uh, the, the one that most people go to first. And they're like, what's my USP? What's my unique selling proposition or my unique mechanism? What's my signature solution or process or plan or philosophy that can be put into place? Um, so what that really is, is that's a, that's a way of describing your product or your service that is, it doesn't have to be unique from everybody else, but it, it needs to be perceived as unique. And there should be a kind of a big idea behind it. Um, there should be something that makes, you know, it's, it's intellectually stimulating. It provokes curiosity. It's compelling. It's maybe emotionally driven and compelling. You know, a, a good example of this was P90X. Um, you remember that workout oh, yeah. program? Cool. Oh, yeah. So P90X had a, had a two-word big idea, a unique mechanism, which supposedly explained why it was so effective. Do you remember what those two words were by any chance? I don't. Okay. You ever heard of muscle confusion? Oh, yeah, I do. Cool. I remember and that. And they're like, you're watching the infomercial. It's like P90X works on the principle of muscle confusion. And then it's supposed <laughs> to, that's a big idea. And it's supposed to make you go, ooh, what's that? Like, well, now you support the, you support the, that, the premise, which, or you give it a premise, which is that, you know, whenever we do the same exercises over and over and over, the, um, the body adapts and it gets used to it. When it gets used to it, it doesn't have to work as hard. When it doesn't work as hard, it doesn't burn as many calories. So what, by doing the same exercise over and over, you're actually getting less and less results. Now that makes intellectual sense. I don't even know if it's true, but it makes intellectual sense. And then they flip it. They go, so what we do is we give you 50 different exercises. We change it up every single day and we confuse your body to what's coming next. So it can never adapt when it can't adapt. It has to keep working harder. When it keeps working harder, it burns more calories. When you burn more calories, you get fit. Now that is, that's a, a, a unique mechanism and it's designed to make logical sense and to go, huh, that, I believe that I'll buy it. It's compelling. It's logical. It, you know, it's emotional. And it's not that unique. Anybody could come along and say, we have the 30-day different exercise workout program, but only one company is calling it muscle confusion, right? So it's not unique. Unique selling propositions, I, I, have a, I think it confuses a lot of people because they think they have to be unique. You just have to be perceived as unique. And there's a lot of ways to do that. That's one of the things I help my clients with is just really understanding how do we position yourself in a way that you're perceived as better, unique, et cetera. Now there's three more and th these are a little bit more, um, what do I want to call it? Not esoteric, but you'll see what I'm saying. So this is where a personal brand really comes uh, in place, but there's this concept of an interesting uh, character and somebody to pay attention to. So if you are, if you are just, um, if you blend in, that's, that's bad. You want to stand out, right? That's the whole idea is to stand out in a crowded market. There's a lot of ways to stand out. One of the easiest examples of this is to be polarizing. It's not for everybody, but Howard Stern is a perfect example. Um, who else is really polarizing? Um, you know, sometimes I, I mentioned Gary V. He can be polarizing because he's throwing F-bombs around and he's very, uh, people either love him or hate him. Um, 
But, uh, and there's a lot of people who are polarizing in the market. Uh, political pundits are the best examples in the world, right? Like, because they, they want to alienate half of their crew because they know if they alienate half the other people, those are the enemy. And the, their friends and their loyalists will get even more loyal to them. So if you are in the business, like what can you take a stand against what, or for? What can you be really polarizing and just say, screw it, I don't care if I piss people off. But that's also not the only way to be, to be um, what do you call it? Uh, to stand, to be interesting. And in, and in fact, polarizing is the easiest, cheapest way to stand out. To be an interesting character, you kind of need, you, you need to have something that you are known for, but then you have to make things that uh, humanize you. So you could be the best in the world at, uh, well, first of all, you're a big story guy. You're familiar with the character diamond? Yes. Concept, cool. Yep. So character diamond is a great. I learned about this from Roy H. Williams at the Wizard Academy in Austin, and it completely changed the way I looked at personal brands. And a perfect example of a character diamond is, um, you know, Superman is a great example. So Superman is like, God-like abilities, right? And if Superman didn't have kryptonite, he would be basically God, right? You can't beat him. You just know kryptonite. But now that he has kryptonite, that creates a weakness. So now we pay attention because somebody, we don't know what'll happen. It creates drama. And then you know the hill he will, you know, die on, they call it in, uh, you know, storytelling. Uh, you know that he stands for truth, justice, and the American way. Those three things make him kind of interesting. But interesting thing about Superman is he didn't really get that interesting and beloved until Christopher Reeves took on the character in the 80s, who is still who I think of as Superman. And one of the most interesting things he did there was as Clark Kent, he was a bumbling idiot with girls, right? With Lois Lane. Like he was, he's Superman. He should have the most swag of anybody, even though he's in disguise. He should be like, man, if you only knew, like I'm Superman under here. But no, he was a, he was a, he stumbled and fumbled around in his words and he was very shy and awkward. And that, that quirk made him really kind of interesting. So if you're in a personal brand and you're really thinking about what are these opposing forces that I can add in that not only show off some of my superpowers, but also shows off the human side of it and makes people kind of want to pay attention. And it could be everything from a rags to riches story. It could be uh, a major disability that you have. It could be uh, a hobby that you've got or something that you, that really kind of makes you, you know, kind of um, somebody that you want to pay attention to because you never know what's going to come next, right? Like the human mind loves drama and we love unexpected twists and surprises. That'll make somebody pay attention. Now, the, yes. last, the last two on this um, are two of uh, the most powerful. And one of them, I call it empathetic bonding. And this really is when your customers feel like, like you know them as good or better than they know themselves. And uh, this is done through copywriting. Uh, it's also called a dominant emotional release, or at least that's what I call it, which is when you get this dominant emotion that somebody's been, it's been pent up inside and they haven't been able to put words to it, but they feel it. And then you say it and it so perfectly encapsulates how they feel or the frustrations they're going through or what they want. They're like, that's it. And that's this, oh my God, like I totally, this guy gets me. Or um, they, they feel that you get them better than others do. And if they do this, it's a very emotional, it's a big emotional charge. And they'll feel, as, they'll feel like uh, you are a member, not only a member of the tribe, but potentially like the leader of the tribe. 
And this is once more, it's done through copy and it's done through uh, messaging. And there's a lot of ways to do this. Uh, I, I typically start with the um, jobs to be done or customer jobs. Like it's in customer value mapping innovation theory uh, made popular by uh, Christian uh, or Clayton Christensen uh, among other people. And then there is um, surveys and journey mapping and all of this other stuff, just really getting to know your customer so that you can create this empathetic bond. Now, lastly, and I'm, I'm going through these like ra rather quickly, but uh, hopefully everybody's following. Lastly, and what I think is one of the more powerful things, especially if you are in the business of providing, it could be a providing advice and services or coaching and consulting, but it can be done anywhere. And this is by providing powerful epiphanies and revelations to your customers. An epiphany and a revelation is, it's, you know, it's, it's when you're helping somebody see something in a new way, giving them a new perspective, a paradigm shift. And it often involves shifting their beliefs in one way or another. Now, it's different than just telling somebody something, right? Uh, it's different than just saying, this is how it is, right? It, but if I, if I draw the dots and I give you the pen and I just show you how to connect them, and then when you connect the dots and go, oh my God, I see it right? It's this revelation. I've given you this epiphany. I didn't tell you what it is and you just ask you to believe me. I built a case for you to, to connect those dots. And you know who does this great is um, like uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, like therapists and professional therapists is they, they go in and they don't tell you what to do. They ask you questions so that you can look at your life in a different way. You can look at your story. You can look at your problems and you might come to the revelation yourself that, oh my gosh, I've been a total, um, you know, a-hole to my wife or whatever, right? Like whatever that is in, in, in therapy, they're like, ah, now I see it. Like you just helped clear the, the fog on the windshield, but I didn't tell you something. And one of the reasons this is so powerful is it's emotionally charged and it's exciting when something clicks and we remember emotional events and everything that tied to them. So if I can give you an emotional uh, reaction on something that makes something click, you're going to remember me the whole time that you did this and you're hopefully going to give me credit. Now, an example of this I mentioned before was the four hour work week. Uh, Tim talked about all this stuff, you know, about how to, um, like, did you know that you could actually do this and do this and do this? Like, did you know? Uh, that, that's kind of like how I remember the book is, oh, wow, this is what I did. And I started to connect the dots like, huh, I wonder if I could do that. And he's like, look, there's this whole global workforce of, uh, in India and the Philippines, et cetera, and you can access them for, you know, $5 an hour or, or, or less or whatever. And I start thinking, huh, I wonder if that would work for me. So I'm starting to connect the dots and the other thing that he said was uh, that connected the dots for me in a big way, gave me an epiphany, was he goes, most people don't want to be, most people think they want to be millionaires. What they really want to do is experience what they believe only mil millionaires can experience, freedom, autonomy, et cetera. The truth is, like, and I think he even framed it in a for form of a question, if you had a business that generated income while you slept no matter where you were and was totally location independent and you could do those things anyway, do you really need to be a millionaire? And I was like, I'll be damned. You're so <laughs> right. Right. Mm -hmm. Now the, the last piece on this was, uh, you know, how do, how do you create those? 
So well, one of the ways is just ask questions, ask questions, ask, don't, don't give prescriptions, just ask questions until they kind of connect the dots. The other things are metaphors and stories. So metaphors and stories are some of the most time tested proven ways to um, create these epiphanies. Uh, like what's the moral of the story? And if, if you don't have to tell them, but people get it by watching it going, huh, that just changed the way I look at you know, what I believe is true, et cetera, et cetera. And even uh, I was having lunch with Robert Cialdini a couple of years ago in a small group. And he said, you know, as consumers, we're always looking for things in a sales argument, not to believe like, I don't believe that we're looking for gotchas. And he goes, the one thing that bypasses the filters. And I think he talks about this in his book, Persuasion, uh, are stories and metaphors. Uh, vi- images in audio too, but we just accept them. Like the subconscious just accept them. When you say, you know, look, uh, doing this is a lot like this and it's a metaphor. And we, we immediately go to work trying to connect the dots and looking for the similarities in between the metaphor and what you're trying to say. And if it makes sense, we kind of accept it. And it's a good way to kind of implant an epiphany in somebody's brain. If I were to sum those back up just for, um, and I know I'm on my soapbox here, but you asked me to do it. So I love it. I love it. Cool. So it's uh, obviously the typical ones would be the cheapest, most expensive, rarest, best, most specific, or spend the most money on branding and advertising. But otherwise, social proof and endorsements, demonstrable proof and results, building goodwill, having a USP or unique mechanism, having an interesting character, empathetic bonding, and providing powerful epiphanies and revelations. So the way I use that with my, when I sit down with a client is that's one of the first things we start to go through and we go, all right, well, where are you standing out and where are you blending in? And can we make a tweak to make you blend in or stand out a little more, blend in a little bit less? And oftentimes um, these are highly leveraged activities that can make a massive difference if done correctly. Wow. So wow. that's my, that's my sixth sense. Um, you know, you keep coming up with copy and we've mentioned that a few times. Uh, you know, and, and how important is great copy in marketing? <laughs> copy is not as as important as messaging. Like you can be a really bad copywriter, like a technical copywriter, but if your messaging is on point, then that's really what matters. Uh, copy to me is like, it's the uh, distilling that message into, you know, now it's like, you know, get it out. It's the more tactical thing. The messaging is the strategy. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's the most critical thing, I believe, because, Words are so powerful. Like mm-hmm. words are the most powerful thing out there. I mean, you know, if you look at the book of Genesis in the Bible, what, what, what is the first, I, I don't, I'm not a biblical scholar, but what is the first thing? It's like in the beginning was the word. I think that is part of yeah. the biblical thing. Like, Hey, it's there. Um, the words have tremendous power and completely subconscious and the messaging like the the wrong message can derail you the right message can say so much um politics decide make america great again was brilliant brilliant messaging it was packaged up designed to serve his pocket of people in a way that spoke to them in so many ways just adding the word again was insanely powerful for the people, the conservatives who long for the older ways of doing things, right? Like, so a few words can move, um, can, you know, can move the masses and clarity. Uh, I, I use this word pun intended clarity trumps everything. Like if you can just be clear of what is, what is this, what's in it for me 
you know, why should I do it? Um, that oftentimes is, uh, you know, one of the best things in the world to do. But uh, messaging and, and copy are so, I believe, critical. Like, um, I mean, massive, massive brands have been built on it. Domino's, 30 minutes or, you know, 30 minutes or it's free. 30 minutes or less or it's free. Now, that was their unique selling proposition, which, by the way, that is one of the most often example USPs in marketing, branding, um, uh, case studies are like, well, Domino said 30 minutes or less or it's free. How unique was that? Well, it was unique in that other people weren't using it, but it wasn't unique in that other people couldn't use it. People, and maybe they would have said 30 minutes or less, or, you know, get your pizza in 30 minutes or less, or you don't pay anything I'm sure they could have gotten away with that and not infringed on any IP. It wasn't unique. It was just, they decided to kind of offer it, but the way they did it was just straight into the point, 30 minutes or less, or it's free. Um, the, uh, I hope I'm answering your question. Sometimes I can go off on. No, 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 this is good. I mean, it's good because I want people to think about this messaging, think about the messaging, be working through it and testing it out and improving upon it and understand the importance of, of great messaging and great copy. Um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And copy comes down to like the delivery of the message. Like you can, one of my other favorite uh, things to tell clients is that like, sometimes you just have a really good, like if you, if you've got a market who wants what you've got and you've got it and it's a decent enough price, you don't have to get too cute or clever. Um, I didn't make this up, but um I don't remember who did, but it's like some, they say sometimes the best way to sell a horse to somebody who wants to buy a horse is to say horse for sale, right? <laughs> it's that simple. Like it depends. Does your market actually want like what you've got and are they listening? And that has to do, that's a whole other topic of the stages of market awareness. Like are they problem aware, solution aware, product aware, uh, et cetera. But if, if, if they know they've got a horse, if they know they need a horse and want a horse and you've got their ear, you can say, I've got a horse for sale. Uh, and you can be that clear, but depending on who you're talking to, like the less aware they are of you, uh, the product, the right solution for them, and even the problems that they're facing, the more you have to dial into the messaging in order to kind of really grab their attention and build their interest. If they've already got attention and interest, if they're already, you know, searching Craigslist for a horse for sale, you just got to put it up there. But um, if they're not, and you want to sell a horse to people who aren't interested, you might need to say, you know, ever, uh, ever watched a, an old Western and the man riding across the plains on a, you know, on a horse galloping and thought that would be cool, right? Like you've got to create, <laughs> you've got to create the, you know, get the attention and the interest of somebody and build that desire um, depending on where they're at. And so that's one of the other things I do with my clients is I was like, well, let's look at your marketing. Are you, what are you talking to the, uh, unaware or the aware and it, to what degree. And we try to dial that in. Nice. Nice. And, um, so let's move a little because that's, yeah. it, it can actually, can people, we talked a little bit before, is there a way for people to get a hold of this information? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they can go, I, I'm going to have this set up by the time they do this. You, they, your people will be the very first ones to, to get this. But if they go to Brad Costanzo, B-R-A-D-C-O-S-T-A-N-Z-O.com forward slash standout right there forward slash standout. I'm going to have a, kind of a, a more detailed summary, et cetera, uh, and some tactical examples of how to use this in their own marketing if they want it. Yeah. I mean, Brad's helped a lot of seven, eight, nine figure businesses grow 
So I'm sure you, you probably find something there that'll help you. Uh, <laughs> so Brad, you know, we were talked also about acquisitions. Mm-hmm. And uh, why are you getting into acquisitions now? And who do you think should be using them? And, you know, what are you learning about them? So acquisitions are, you know, that's a big word and it sounds kind of like mergers and acquisitions and stuff like that. And it sounds like a very big um, thing, but it's really not. I mean, it's really, uh, it can be, but it's the concept that you look, I don't have to, I don't have to own it if I can act if I can access it is number one. So can I, can I access your, like right now, one of the things I'm doing is I'm acquiring the attention of your listeners, right? Mm -hmm. So I I didn't, I I didn't buy it. I I didn't buy your show. I didn't need to, but I'm acquiring it. So it's kind of like we made a deal. I agreed to give my time uh, to you in, and you know, in my information, you agreed to give me access to your audience. So in that one way, uh, I, I really want to give people these epiphanies, right? That, huh, I don't have to own it if I can access it. Number two, when it comes to uh, building a business or when it comes to having a business, there's two ways to do it, right? You can build it or you can buy it. I mean, I don't know if there's two other ways to do it. You can start it or you can kind of go find somebody who else has started it. And um, I've started multiple businesses and some have been successful and some have failed. But and usually I get a you know, I think a lot of us entrepreneurs, we get addicted to the startup and the vision coming to life, but ultimately why are we in business? And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a metaphor that my friend Ace Chapman, I don't know if you know Ace, told me that gave me an epiphany and uh, I couldn't get it out of my head. So hopefully I'm able to get this weed in the other people's heads. He says, what's the purpose of a business? And you can make a lot of arguments, but let me, let me ask you this. I'm going to see if you come up with the exact same thing I said. What, and this is not a trick question. It's very easy. Mm-hmm. What is the reason to have a business for you? Why do you have a business? Uh, to serve a customer and make money. Okay, cool. Right. Ultimately, yeah. For the, the selfish part, the reason for you is to make money. I mean, everything else, like if you, even nonprofit businesses, you know, make money for the, you know, for the owner. Like you want to have an, a vehicle to have income, right? Period. Mm-hmm. So, when, as a consumer, when we want shelter, when you want a house, okay, um, do we typically go to uh, YouTube and check out like uh, how to build a house videos and then go to Home Depot and buy two by fours and hammers and nails and then hire people and build it ourselves? No, we typically uh, either find a house, sometimes we build it, sometimes we contract somebody to build the house we want, or we go find a house that we think is we want to live in and then we arrange financing that we can afford because we can't just write a check for, you know, half a million dollars or whatever the house costs, um, typically. Uh, and then we move into the house that already exists that serves our purposes and we finance it in a way that we can afford it. Like, all right, I know I can afford these monthly payments and I can get what I want, even if I can't write a check for it. Like, okay, cool. When we want transportation, we don't go study um, automotive engineering and then go to, you know, auto zone and buy all the parts and build a car. We go find a car that's been built and we arrange financing and we do it. Why is it as business owners, as entrepreneurs, we think that we have to build our, our cash flow from scratch when we can find a vehicle that is producing cash flow in a way that if we stepped into it, we might have the ability to run or hire people to run it. And even if we can't afford the several million dollars it would cost to buy it, financing exists. There's many, many, many ways to finance a business. So if we, if we do this with transportation and shelter, the two of the most important things, and then we, why aren't we doing it with our income when we can? 
go find a business that's churning out the money that you want and find a way to finance it and get into it. And you don't even have to run it if you can find the people who do. And this is one of those things for me. I was like, that's a damn good question. And a, <laughs> what, what a lot of people don't understand is they think that buying a business is like buying a house. That if I go to buy your business for a million dollars, I have to write you a check for a million dollars. And that's, that's not true. It is a little harder to finance a, a business than a, than a house, but there's also a couple hundred different ways that you can do that because you can get really creative with ne negotiation. For instance, um, I just bought, well, okay, a couple of years ago, I almost bought one of my listeners, one of my podcast listeners' businesses. He had an e-com business doing about uh, four million a year. And I offered to buy 80% of the business to keep, keep him at 20% because I wanted to grow it and then resell it. And um, I said, I will buy 80% of your business, but instead of giving you any cash for it, I'll just finance it over the next three years. And I'll just give you a guaranteed payment of, uh, it was something like 30,000 a year for three years, which came out to a little over a million dollars. And he said, yes. Now the business was churning off that money. Like I was literally going to finance the purchase of the business with the income from the business. It fell apart at the very last minute because I walked away because the terms changed to where it was just long story, just a little riskier than I wanted to um, get involved in. But the deal was almost done. I had to walk away at the last minute. Um, I've, I bought another website based business um, a couple of years ago. Same thing. Only I bought hundred percent of it at hundred percent owner financing. I was talking to the guy and I was like, well, I'll give you uh, X amount a month for the next 12 months. And I was pulling it out of the, like, so I bought those businesses. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in business. Boom, I'm making money. And as long as the math pencils out and it goes, okay, I can afford this, you're in business. Um, and then just as of this week, I, uh, I, I got about a quarter of a, you know, ownership in an e-commerce business uh, for doing consulting, uh, you know, instead of cash for equity. And uh, so I don't own all of it, but I, I have, acquired a piece of it. It's way harder to build a business than it is to buy a business. It's just a new skill set. And it's one that I'm not a complete expert at, but I'm trying and trying to uh, kind of forge my way there. That's like the next evolutionary step of myself as a business owner. And there's a million types of assets that you can buy or acquire or just get access to, um, as I said, without ever really writing a check for it that's I mean, yeah i mean it's it's so smart and like just thinking about it it's like why it's just pure ego that you have to start from scratch right and some of the wealthiest people i know own just a lot of franchises uh and they're not they don't own the, the whole franchise they don't own all the wendy they don't own wendy's but they own a lot of wendy's yeah. um and which is a lot easier a lot a mm -hmm. lot easier uh i wish i could own more chick-fil-a's <laughs> yeah uh, um but so, you know, now, I mean, you're, you're seeing business from, a, you know, a hundred thousand foot view, you know, even though you're consulting, um, you know, and getting into them, where, where do you see the big opportunities right now? And, you know, what are some businesses that you're looking at, some business areas that you see? What are some opportunities even for existing businesses? So... E-commerce is, uh, is a big opportunity right now for obvious reasons. Um, less people shopping in person, a lot more people online. Um, I, um, I, I, you know, I'm pursuing 
acquisitions and opportunities in the uh, the IT service and IT security space uh, for a couple reasons because. Um, it is a relatively essential business. There, it's it's undergoing a lot of flux because people are moving to work at home, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of companies having to spend capital on things like that. Where um, you know they they may not have been thinking about it in the past, and now they are. So I'm looking for um, business owners, like as I said, who run like IT and computer service businesses who. Maybe they're great technicians. They're just not really great at growing a business and they just kind of plateaued. Um, so that's one of the areas I'm looking at. I do believe that um, consulting and coaching is going through a weird space right now, like good and bad, right? So the bad part is a lot of people are uh, in very uncertain times and not flush with cash at the moment and just trying to figure it out. So a lot of times they'll, if they don't really understand the value of what they'll get from a coach or consultant, they'll hold back. But at the same time, the best time for them to, you know, the biggest need for coaching, consulting and advising is during times of flux and transition, which is a lot of them need it now more than ever, but they don't want it unless you can have really demonstrable, like unless you really can convince them that what you've got will dramatically help them out. It, I think the job is a little bit harder for some people because uh, coaching and consulting oftentimes has an ambiguous um, uh, ROI. Like well, mm -hmm. if it works, maybe that's cool. But a lot of people are spending money on essentials right now only. But I do think if positioned correctly, uh, coaching and consulting and service-based businesses like that are a tremendous opportunity. What else? Um, I've looked into a little bit of um, uh, in, the, in the restaurant hospitality space. The, uh, I'm very intrigued by the idea of uh, ghost kitchens. You ever heard of those? Mm -mm. So Travis Kalanick, the founder of uh, Uber, uh, when he, he stepped out and he spent like, I don't know, 400 million or something in, uh, I think it was called, I think it's called Ghost Kitchens or Cloud, Cloud Kitchen. I think it's cloudkitchens.com. So Cloud Kitchen, Ghost Kitchens, these are, these started to get prominence in the past year or two with um, the rise of like Uber Eats and Grubhub and all these things because um, restaurants started to understand that they could they could create, like, let's say it's a strip mall or a warehouse or something. And the entire thing is nothing but kitchens. And it could be, you know, you know, your favorite restaurant in your hometown, they have a, a ghost kitchen that's designed for nothing but takeout and delivery. So it's not taxing the people who are coming to eat inside, but it's the exact same stuff you can order, but it's like the Uber drivers can come to this one little area and pick up multiple things or they can just come in and it's really designed for in and out, uh, et cetera. And I, I haven't researched this area too, too much, but a little bit, but I am fascinated with the, you know, the, with the decrease in dining, but increase in takeout. I think cloud kitchens, ghost kitchens, these invisible restaurants, if you would, um, pose uh, a really intriguing, um, opportunity that I'm just, I'm starting to just kind of pay attention to. And I started to pay attention to it because my buddy, as I said, and client is a hospitality consultant. So we've kind of been uh, ideating on that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Nothing else comes to the, you know, the top of my mind at the moment. Um, 
But I mean, those are huge. I mean, there's, it, that's the thing. It's like, everyone's like, oh my God, the world's coming in. I'm like, no, it's just this huge opportunities are coming out of it. Yeah, exactly. Huge, huge opportunities. And if, you, if you're looking at where, you know, where your cheese was, to use an old business, uh, <laughs> you know, where they moved your cheese. And you're looking where your cheese was and waiting for that cheese to come back. Instead of going, hey, where is the cheese going? Uh, you're going to, you know, you're going to fall by the wayside. Uh, Brad, this has been awesome. Yes, it has. It's always fun to talk to you. Good to catch up. Uh, you guys can go to bradcastanzo.com. Also, we didn't really mention the name of the podcast, the Bacon Wrapped Business Podcast. I don't know why I have trouble Bacon saying Baconwrappedbusiness.com. Sizzling hot business advice guaranteed to make you fat. Profits. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. 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 And buddy. by the way, one of the things I will say on the show, if, if they like the uh, idea of acquisitions, uh, like I use the podcast all the time in order to um, get awesome free information and coaching from people I want to learn from. And I've probably done more episodes on creative deal making and acquisitions and buying businesses than almost anything else. They get, they get peppered in, but it's like, you know, I get to, if they ever want to be in like a fly on the wall and eavesdrop on me learning about this stuff, it's a, it's a great way to come, you know, hear my process of learning stuff I want to learn about. And um, so which would you, which episodes would you recommend? Um, well, I, I just recently did one. Uh, I, I, I'm looking on the page right now. So there's one I did with Carl Allen and uh, let me just see. So Carl Allen and his partner, Adam Markley from uh, dealmaker wealth Academy had a great one. And they um, that's maybe the second or third past episode. And I believe that on that episode, I linked to all the previous, I'm just going there. I think I linked to the, some of the previous uh, episodes. Yep. On, on the bottom of that, so it's um, baconwrapbusiness.com slash buy business to build wealth. That's just one big thing. And mm-hmm. uh, I'll even link that to you if you want. But uh, at the bottom of that page are links to um, one with Carl Allen, Roland Frazier, Callum Lang, Ace Chapman, Greg Elfrink, Michael Beroslavsky, Terry Lammers. And uh, there's probably even a couple more that I forgot to put on there. So I go deep. On yeah. the top. And that's the best way to learn. I mean, yeah, absolutely. you can quickly in five, six hours, learn what's, and that's why I love about podcasts is because you can ask the questions that you want to know and get into it. And people will reveal stuff that it's usually behind a paywall or they Dude, only get to their best clients. The stuff I just threw out there about how to stand out in a crowded market. Like, I don't like, that's my, that's some IP that it's taken me years and years to figure out. And I usually charge a lot of money to go over that stuff with, uh, with my clients. Now, granted, we go over it in a lot more detail and we, we work together systematically on how to craft it. So I don't just tell them that I'm like, okay, you now pay, <laughs> yeah, pay me the money. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's not information that just like throw out there, but anyway. Yeah. I appreciate that. And you guys, I mean, that was fantastic advice. Brad has success. Uh, you know, I love talking to him. That's why I had him on, but also I knew he'd be, you know, beneficial to you all. Um, but Brad, yeah, this is great. And we're definitely check that out. We'll make sure to have links to all these things in the show notes. If you're watching this on YouTube, it's down below. If you're not watching this on YouTube, you should watch it on YouTube because Brad is such a sexy man besides Ooh. having that sexy voice. So, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, definitely check out the YouTube. If you're listening thank on the you. podcast, click on the show notes. Uh, but Brad, thank you so much for being on. 
Thank you, my man. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Appreciate it. Yes, and thank you all for listening to Mr. Brad Casanzo and myself, Ian Garlic. This has been the Garlic Marketing Show, brought to you by StoryCruise.com. And make sure to do something, take action, and tell Brad what you did. All right, talk to you soon. Video. You know it'll make you an authority. You know it will get you more leads, better leads that close faster and spend more with you. And video stories will help you be remembered and connect with those perfect clients. The problem is, where do you start? Storycruise.com is the place to go. It's like a film crew with an S. What's your strategy? Do you do it yourself? Do you hire a videographer, an agency? Do you need an editor? How do you know if they really know your business and how to make videos for business that work? The answer to all of this and more can be found at storycruise.com. It is the place to find the latest video marketing strategies, the best gear for your business, as well as videographers, editors, and agencies near you that are trained in video storytelling for business. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get special insider info for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show, including special access to several of my courses, including my case story course. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get a whole bunch of special offers just for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show. Whether you're looking for a videographer or to do it yourself, go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get started today. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. Facebook.